0: Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. Go Wild has recently partnered with Mountain Tough for a free 30-day workout program designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the Go Wild Challenge. Download Go Wild to sign up and let everyone know in a Go Wild post that you're joining us. Then, each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Also, Go Wild will be attending the Great American Outdoor Show February 4th through the 12th. If you're in the area, stop by booth 412, meet the guys, and learn all about Go Wild. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. Welcome to the Hunt of War podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 116 Small Game Big Bounty with Jonah Curtis. On this episode of Hunt Huntivore, of Nick is joined by Jonah Curtis, an impressive gardener and small game aficionado. They unpack a whole range of topics on a number of rabbit trails that eventually lead into squirrels and rabbits. Discussions result revolve around mild taste and flavor, how a few bag limits add up fast, simple preparations are sometimes the best, and Nick has the opportunity to try something completely new, raccoon. Jonah gives some advice on cooking with the Ring-Tailed Bandit. Plenty of delicious tidbits on this episode of Huntivore. Dry-aged steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence. And Old World charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umay Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, bringing the best of old-world artisan tradition right to the home kitchen. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes. And use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. Yeah, we're sitting here in January with no snow. All I've seen is snow banks that have been piled up on the side of parking lots and out of uh, people's driveways. But other than that, it is, it is no snow here which has also kind of resulted in no ice on the lakes but it just makes for an odd year at least this year hopefully we'll get uh, that winter weather back and we'll get into the deep freeze it's funny like i i look forward to not freezing for so long but then when it's finally here like i wish for a, a good chill down uh to get the fireplace back going again i know we had our quote unquote blizzard there a couple weeks ago but uh yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for another cool down. But that's neither here nor there. Folks, we're joined tonight with actually a former guest that was on all the way back in 2021. It's been a while since we've been on the line with Jonah Curtis. Jonah, hailing from southern Michigan. We're in. Uh, he's a gardener, farmer, hunter, and... I- my small game authority. I know folks go to other people for different things, and I definitely look up to Jonah when it comes to chasing that small game. Jonah, thanks you. thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. How are things down in uh, the southern part of the state over there in Marshall? Is it still looking uh, pretty bleak as far as getting on any ice over there?
1: Yeah, ice fishing's been a little, little light. Um, I actually went last week uh, two or three times. Um, casting in January. Um, did pretty good. Got a mess of bluegills, but yeah, ice fishing is looking like it's not going to happen anytime soon,
0: unless I travel north for a little while. Yeah. And, uh, both of us, uh, tipped the scale pretty high. So it's, we're going to need a couple inches before I get out there. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a hot second. So what's 2022 looked like for you? It's been a while since we've chatted. Um, yeah i guess it has it doesn't feel like it's been that long but yeah 2022 uh
1: um banner banner year in the curtis household we welcomed our little daughter uh last april it was pretty exciting she's been she's been a wonderful addition a lot of excitement um and then (laughs) in uh october i guess i made uh career change after at the same being at the same job for actually the same two jobs for 15 and 17 years respectively and concurrently um and then i uh yeah made a little made a little shift in careers so been been a busy year we, we were status quo for a long time and now two kids in two years and a new career for me it's been a wild ride
0: <laughs> I bet it has. How old's your uh, your youngest right now? He's got to still be still be pretty young.
1: Uh yeah, so my my son is just over 2. Um yeah, he turned 2 in November and then my daughter is now um will be will be 9 months here pretty shortly. Yeah, it's they're they're young. They're young.
0: So yeah. <laughs> Well, probably sticking close to home then, is uh, was the garden another big year? I know you – was it this year or last year that you uh, put in your bumper crop of garlic where you ordered double uh, from the catalog and you ended up having to put all those bulbs in?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was last year. So, um, so I had an enormous <laughs> amount really the last two years. But uh, this year I didn't order any at all, which was kind of nice um, – I was able to just use what we grew and put that back in and I'm uh 2023 is going to be the year where I focus a little bit more on growing reasonable amounts of food rather than preposterous amounts of food and um we're we're kind of switching over to a little bit more permaculture and a little more biodiversity so we're doing more, uh, perennial crops, more berries and fruits, things like that. Um, and a lot of that is based on the kids. I, I want to feed them all from home and, um, blackberry bushes are a fantastic babysitter. I found you can just turn the kid loose in there. He's not going
0: anywhere. He'll just eat, he'll eat blackberries for a while, but he's not going to oh, go anywhere. Absolutely not. <laughs> once he gets three of those prickers stuck in his uh his sweatshirt yeah he's hung up there ain't no he ain't toddling off
1: oh no we're we're all thornless on the blackberry front down here um but he just he'll just eat blackberries till hell won't have it he goes to town on them but no just kind of doing more (laughs) of that kind of stuff um growing more (laughs) mushrooms um spending more time with with perennial crops rather than Growing enormous amounts of garlic and tomatoes and peppers and beans, that then, then I have to spend huge amounts of time um, harvesting and trying to preserve, and they're really a lot more than we really need. I'm trying to, I guess, what I'm saying is I'm trying to find um, scale that line back to what we're actually going to need, because it, it's pretty silly to spend a lot of time growing things and then harvesting them and then not having the time or the space to really properly utilize them. And then I end up either feeding them the chickens or throwing them in the compost.
0: Gotcha. And yeah, I mean, yeah, great chicken feed. But at the same time, like that's a lot of effort on your part that's that's wasted. And streamlining is a very good way to put that, like you said, like or at least scaling back the amount of effort on the the harvesting end of it but yeah being able to kind of shift gears that's very interesting growing growing to what you're eating at that point as opposed to man I've got this bounty but I'm never actually going to be able to uh fully utilize it yeah
1: and my my wife teases me a little bit um I am a bit of a goldfish I'll kind of grow to the size of my container so you know, we had one pantry and a root cellar, and I filled those. Then we built another pantry, and I filled that. And then we built an outdoor kitchen and another pantry. And at some point, she's just going to start stacking stuff on my side of the bed. So I've really got to wise up and like, okay, <laughs> what's reasonable? And, and kids are kind of a good wake-up call for that, too. Of You know, it used to be where I could stay up late and work on that stuff. But now those adorable little alarm clocks are going to get up early whether I feel like it or not. So staying up till midnight canning is not going to fly when I'm hearing daddy, it's time to get up at you know, five 30 or six in the morning. That's just, that's not going to go. That's not, that dog won't hunt, you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm glad to see that things are still going really well in your household. Um, question I was going to put to you. Uh, and I, I had gotten this a lot, especially since when, when deer season ended, um, the, the amazing thing about social media is that uh, things go in these, in these cycles, and so I'll hear a lot from different folks uh, from time to time throughout the year, and what I found this year is I'm hearing a lot from uh, APRs, or at least the antler point restrictions, and how... There's one camp that wants to really uh, open the door on that more more APRs throughout the state. Really grow that program. Um, You know, again, we're hearing from the management strategy people. This is the time to get out in the woods uh, to do your um, your your management. Whether whether it be your your wood section, your wood lot, whether it be making cuts, whether it be uh, trying to think of what your plots are going to be. Um, at the same time, I'm hearing from the public land scouting folks, and it's just all these different avenues, all these different voices are coming in from every different direction. Um, be it that that's the internet here in 2023, where yeah, instant access to all information. But it's like this was just all feeding into me. But then at the same time, like I've got our own our own channel, our own this this group that I've also gotten really tight with that are really focused on the food aspect of it, uh, much like yourself, where you know we're doing this with a purpose to, to feed our families and to bring in nourishing, quality, wholesome food. And my wife, uh, one aspect of her job is she does a lot of work with um, these personality tests or like these um, job behavior tests. I know one is called the DISC the DISC. That was one that was out a long time ago. And I know there's, I want to say it's called the Myers-Briggs. I could be totally off. But at the same time, there's all these different tests. Yeah. So all these different tests, essentially, they're not trying to basically put you into a box. But if you read further in the pamphlet, what it does is it basically describes like, here's how you react in a working environment. And knowing this is going to be positive because now we can tell you information about how other people are going to work in that. And so hitting being hit with this, part of me was thinking like, you know, I may not have a lot in common with a guy who's really pushing for the antler point restrictions. But that's not to say that his upbringing was completely wrong and mine was completely I mind being completely wrong. But the fact that we meet at the table when it comes to hunting in general, that we we want the best quality, uh, well, I want the best quality food, and he's going for the mature deer, but we meet together in the fact of we're going to be in the woods from October all the way till, you know late December. And so it's what I was thinking of, and I was actually in the car as putting this all together, at least in my head. As far as trying to say that I'm right, they're wrong, I think maybe we should be looking at this as far as folks with other goals and other aspirations within the hunting fraternity. Maybe this is one of those like behavior things like maybe I should be figuring out how to get along with the aPR guys as opposed to try and say, well, I'm right and you're wrong for these many reasons is that is that you think that's a healthy way that I should start approaching uh folks who differ in my hunting and fishing views?
1: Well, I think it's always going to be tough um so to kind of circle back around to to well I I have a lot of strong views I guess and of course I always think I'm right because I spend a lot of time just sitting and thinking, um, but it's tough to discuss some things like this or like I'll, I'll use the example of of parenting when you talk about parenting with someone it's hard to have a, what I would call a fruitful discussion. Um unless you're really close with someone because everyone gets really emotional really quickly. And I find that talking about, uh, you know, hunting aspects are are pretty similar. It's people get immediately dug in and tuned out to any, any reason. And even what I, what I try and how I try and approach it is that I don't care if you disagree with me, it's okay. Um, I'm not trying to convince you. What I'm trying to do is say what I think. You may do with that what you like. It's it's not. I'm not trying to sell you anything. But it it is tough, and there are there are a lot of uh, conspiracy theories in Michigan I've heard that are just wild and outlandish. Um, and <laughs> Michigan also has for so long kind of tried to split the baby. And you know I love Michigan. I wanna I. Crawl through all of hell and half of Ohio just to spend an afternoon here. I can't, you can't beat it. But they've always tried to split the baby when it comes to how we want to um, approach our value system in hunting and in fishing in the state. Um, like largemouth bass has bounced around with all kinds of, you know, different ideas and restrictions. Um, and I, I will absolutely catch and eat a largemouth bass and. I have guys who are strong catch and release guys. And I'm not saying they're the best thing to eat in the world, but they're not that bad. They're fine for fish tacos if you clean them properly. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's the same kind of deal. Like Some people are just so into their camp that they, they can't really see how anyone else could possibly see it differently. And, and it really makes it difficult. And when these arguments have been going on like they have in Michigan – for, I mean, we're, we're on the same argument for our second, maybe third generation. So it's pretty tough because, well, my grandpa said the same thing, like, dude, okay. But like, maybe consider another point of view. And, and I have the same argument with myself too. Um, I shot two bucks this year. One was a pretty nice one and one was little. And when the little one came in, I had no interest in shooting him until I did. And, you know, they were, they were both legal bucks where I was, and I, I had no interest at all in shooting that deer. And then I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to dump him. And then uh, the, the bigger one was, was during firearm season. Um, yeah, I, I can talk myself back and forth on that same issue. And it's the same thing with when we have um, APRs, two buck versus one buck. How many does should we shoot? you know And I, I'm wondering if the reporting might make a difference this year on maybe even more specific rules., yeah, but the some of the areas are big. It, it is tricky. I don't And there hasn't always been, in my opinion, a great explanation as to why changes are made and what the actual goal is, I think that would help a lot if there was a little better broadcast communication of, here's what we're really trying to do here. I do think in northern Michigan, you know, I hunt up there occasionally, and I have a lot of family who hunts up there. Um, There have been some changes in the last few years with the APR restrictions. Um, I think a combination of that and then a lot of the areas I hunt, they were kind of dairy farm areas uh hay things like that um and then they went to more modern ag i guess um a little more corn and soybeans i have noticed and not that i've really hunted bucks up there recently but i'm up there and i'll squirrel hunt up there i've noticed humongous differences just in the quality of deer that i see in you know northern lower counties um within the last couple of years uh so the apr maybe it is making a difference up there kind of it passes the eyeball test to me that it would um but when i see some 85 year old dude who says he just wants to go out and shoot the first deer he sees and that's a spike i don't know man i don't really want to tell that guy he can't have backstraps, even if he's only going to get 35 pounds of venison off that deer i don't know I could have this. I could have this entire <laughs> conversation with you not even being here, and argue with myself, and I don't know how I'd end up.
0: <laughs> it yes, and I'm I'm glad you bring that up. That it's that people are in their camps, but at the same time, you know, you lean one way, but as soon as you take a chance and put yourself in somebody else's boots, man, you know what? Maybe the other side ain't that ain't that bad either. I. I find myself kind of with the 85-year-old, the like I got a limited amount of time. I want to get out there, get what I can, and then, you know, take what I need and then be done. Um, but at the same time, you know, to see bigger deer, to see bigger animals, that's that would be great in my wheelhouse because that's more poundage that I can get off. So, yeah, it's one of those, like, I'm thinking maybe as far as, at least how I've been seeing it, I've seen a lot of push on, on many different fronts. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, just kind of put a bow, bow on this. We really got to take a look at other folks' shoes. And when it comes to making restrictions, like what is the end goal? What do you What do you want here? Lay this out, and maybe we can come together on some, uh, some common aspects here. So, no, I appreciate that. That's great. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at huntivore at gmail.com. Now back to the ship. So it's also been an odd winter. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we got we've had a couple snow events, but not a whole lot of snow. Uh, at least right now we've got these meltdowns, ice isn't there. Um, which kind of sets up us up for some really easy easy hiking through the woods. Uh, this is perfect for our small game that uh, that we're going to be pursuing. We've got rabbit, we got squirrel on the menu here. This is prime time for both of those critters. Um, and I've seen uh, you post a few times there, uh, Jonah. You've been uh, knocking squirrels down pretty well with the, the two young kids. Is this the easy route for you to get, or the the, re, the easy route? Uh, Hunting trip that you can just go walk around the property and smack a few bushy tails.
1: Um, most of the uh, squirrels, like right at our house, are uh, protected. Um, <laughs> they are, they are bird feeder squirrels, and they are <laughs> approximately the size of like a medium cat, but they are allowed to exist. And there are two reasons for that, really. One is honestly, I like watching them, and they're just as entertaining to me as like a bird. So I don't care. And I've reached the age. Uh, of, uh, and, and the fact that I'm a father now, I think, I think it's now a state law in Michigan where I have to have a bunch of bird feeders. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that at my age and my fatherhood status, I have to have a bunch of bird feeders. So I do. Um, and I don't care. I like watching the squirrels out there and my kids like watching them. Um, and also, uh, the, the, there was a brief time when I had a knee injury I had and I had knee surgery and I couldn't travel very far. So I could go just off my back deck and like crutch down, you know, 20, 30 yards towards my woods and I could still get some squirrels. And so I like to have kind of a, you know, a little fallback of of some squirrels who think they've got it made that if I ever really got to get a squirrel, I can get one. Um, but no, (laughs) I, I've taken the kids. a Well, I've taken both kids, uh, once with zero success. um, we were, we were not quiet. Those squirrels saw us coming for a long ways. Um, and then I took uh, just my son. Um, I've taken him a couple times and we've done okay. It's uh, my, my philosophy on hunting and fishing with kids is we leave when everyone's still having fun. So when I go by myself, I am very likely to make a serious effort at a limit. Um, when I go with the kids, as long as we have fun uh we're not going hungry and so i I think with my son i don't think i've ever gotten a limit with him so far but we've always gotten a couple and you know we we enjoy that time um and then i've gone by myself a number of times and done done a little bit better i haven't had as much fun as i do with my kids of course but um i've had uh i've come out of the woods with about as much weight and as i carry in kid most of the time um (laughs) <laughs> these uh these fox these fox squirrels down here man eaters this year i mean uh, one of the properties i hunt is on the edge of um well it has walnut and oak trees and then it has it was in corn and it just those squirrels are just gigantic they were eating i mean they'd run up trees with a full ear of corn and so they're they're pretty huge um, but yeah, I've done I've done Holy so far this year.
0: Nice, um, and that's cool that you're bringing out the kids to that. I I laughed too when you were saying like at your age and being a father, like you you have the bird feeders because the one thing I did make, I was using deer fat this year and I wanted to find something to do. And the first thing I went to was bird suet. So yeah, me and the boys made cooked up a whole bunch of bird suet and put those out. So now I oh, check yeah. that every day, something lands on it. I'm like, Oh, oh what, what do we got? We got, we got a chickadee. No, we got it. We got a Cardinal. Good. Check that off the list. We got a Cardinal.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, mixed it with some pork stock, uh, and, and some water. And then, uh, that with some shiitake mushrooms kind of the better part of a day in a crock pot and then added some veggies right before dinner time and you know it was it was honestly pretty killer i'll do a lot of stuff like that just kind of what i have available on the homestead um i'll do roasted with just a couple um where i'll quarter them up which when i say quarter i actually um i cut my squirrels into six pieces um and then i'll Brown it a little bit and then put it with some um a little bit of stock or a little bit of tomato just in a in the Dutch oven and then add some potatoes and kinda get it where the reason I brown it is so it doesn't really fall apart. It's gonna be super tender, but you can pull out those quarters and just, you know, pull it right off the bone. So I'm I'm kinda all over. I will freeze one or two at a time on occasion. It just kinda depends on how many we've had and kind of what the I'll uh you know, kind of test the waters on the feeling of the house of anybody's in the mood for squirrel or if they're like, one more squirrel and I might start climbing a dang tree, you know?
0: <laughs> Do you find your approach with a squirrel, Um like you said, quartering out, there's brazing seems to be kind of like your first route with that. Is is squirrel, uh, does it react pretty similar to, because uh, it's a, an all- I mean that little critter is working all the time. He's pretty tough. At least that meat gets pretty tough when it hits uh like a high heat right away. It uh a good braise helps soften that up. Do you find that pro- that's probably the first step that if somebody's trying to get started in squirrel or starting to get, you know, trying stuff out, that might be a good route to take. Take that critter.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. They can be um, and I, I do think it varies um, a little bit. Uh, like, fox squirrels, I find, are considerably more tender than black, gray, or pine squirrels. Um, fox squirrels, I find, are opportunistic and fairly low effort in a lot of places where I hunt. They're Like, they don't even tend to climb as much. Um, I mean, they obviously climb trees, but, like, when they see me, they're more likely to run along the ground than they are to tree. And... So they're they're a little bit trickier to shoot sometimes because they're not going to just tree unless you have a dog or somebody else with you to make them tree. They'll just run. But yeah, they're definitely still a little bit tougher. Um, and they just yeah they just tighten right up if you cook them too hard. So yeah, I like to give them a little bit of a browning or a sear and then do then do a braise with them. I I find that way they don't really fall apart right away. Otherwise they can just kind of they can really fall apart.
0: Gotcha. Keep really, but like you mentioned earlier, you you keep it on the quarters, um, into a six-piece quarter. You were talking about that stew that you were making with your with your mushrooms. Those are left also on the bone, so it's as much as it's a, a stew or a soup at that point. You've also got like that little quarter that you get to pick out. Not only is it a spoon worthy, but now you know you get a little uh, uh, extracurricular when you got to pull the quarter out. Is that how you are running that?
1: Well. The one I did with the mushrooms, no, I um, actually slow cooked those swirls and pulled the meat.
0: Oh, okay, so you did. Um, but pull. with
1: the stew that I do, I do like I'll do one with like with, I, I'll do like a cream mushroom, almost like the classic. Um, you know, I'll make my own cream mushroom sometimes, but I'll do that, or I'll do a tomato based, or like a, a pork or a turkey stock base, and that I will leave on the bone, and that's just like a really, it is a stew, but it, it's basically. What I'll really do is I'll have those, uh, like, in a Dutch oven. I'll have the quarters in there. I'll sear them. I'll put them in there. And so they're basically just slow cooking. And then – but they, they don't really fall apart. You know, as long as you keep it kind of low and slow, they really hold together pretty well because you've browned it. And then I'll pull it, pull it out, and then I'll thicken it maybe a little bit, and then I'll, I'll usually have – I'll put mushrooms in there sometimes, or I'll have uh, just some uh, some potatoes, or if I'm having a – uh, if it's a tomato-based one, I'll add a little bit of uh, diced zucchini from the garden because it kind of cuts the acidity a little bit and sweeten back sweetens it a little. So I the thing with squirrel is I don't want to compare it to chicken because that honestly that drives me crazy because uh, it you know squirrel has a lot more flavor than a, than I think than chicken, um, but it it can still kind of take on. It's very versatile, I should say. It it can take on a lot of different flavor profiles and still, like, handle it really well.
0: Yeah, that's amazing that even off of some critter, I mean, because, again, they're foraging. They're eating so many different things that it's going to be such a unique flavor. Still quite mild. Um, I've, yeah, this year I've only been able to take one. No, I take that back because I froze two. Uh, I went out and got two. And then I've also gotten just, yeah, the one hunt that I had earlier in the season i ended up taking one and i just went with a pan fry with that one and you hit the you hit the note right on the head where you're talking about it doesn't taste like chicken at all as much as people try to sell that it really does have its own unique flavor but it is quite mild like it's not off-putting at all
1: yeah it's um i even think and yeah go ahead oh it yeah i think when people have had issues with squirrel it You know, and again, that's probably, that really is. I bet more people ask me for squirrel, if they can have some squirrel, than ask me for venison. Um, It's so interesting that they're just, I I don't know if they just like the novelty of it or exactly what it is, but um, a lot of people, when they say they've had venison that was gamey, I can pretty much guarantee that it was not processed uh, what I would call correctly. And, when i've had people say they don't like squirrel i'm like no you whoever prepared it for you didn't didn't do it right or you know there are people who are more sensitive to gaminess things like that and i've eaten tons of pine or you know what we call mostly in michigan we mostly call them red squirrels i've eaten tons of those um and they do taste you know they can taste a little bit different and they can definitely taste you know when i've hunted them in northern michigan you can taste the the red pine in them sometimes you really can taste like like they were marinated in uh gin or something sometimes but they're still they're still good there's nuance there yeah and with uh with some of the some of the squirrel they' there they do have scent glands they have they have things in them like a deer or if they you know you made a, a less than ideal shot and so there was um you know some some uh bursting of anything in the in the abdominal cavity, you know, that, that can affect it. And, and, you know, I think some people cram those things in the back of their game bag and, you know, leave them there half a day before they skin them and clean them out. And I,
0: I, I really doubt that that positively affects the flavor profile, you know? That's funny. We're taking the same practices that we would with, you know, a deer and putting those right into the squirrel. Like, hey, folks, it's it's all meat. It all reacts the same to spoilage and to heat. And if you don't do anything with it quick enough, yeah, it's going to be uh, not the greatest. Yeah, those uh, red squirrels, those things are full of piss and vinegar anyway. They are nasty, little ornery fellas. So, yeah, I can guess why... Uh, yeah, when they get into that red pine, man, I bet you they really taste a little bit off.
1: Yeah, and they're tougher to shoot. They're, they don't hold still for a second. You know, they're always fidgety and on the move. No. <laughs> um they they're way tougher to shoot. Like I've I've killed enough to bury a battleship going back to when I was a kid cuz that was a lot of what we had when I was young. But man, sometimes you got to want it or you better hold really still and you just got to be on the jump and ready to go. Like when they stop doing their little fidgety move.
0: Are you still chasing them with your, uh, air gun? You were, uh, you were getting big into the, uh, was it compressed air or are you doing, um, uh, carbon, carbon dioxide? How are, what, uh, uh, no, what do you use? Air. Are you still using that air gun?
1: Yeah, I use it some, not as much. Um, I was big into, it. I still like it, but it's, it can be really limiting, um, with wind conditions. Uh, things like that. And I had, I've had a couple bad experiences with it where, um, I've had, I've hit squirrels and they've made it to, you know, a den tree or something. It just doesn't, I mean, it's still, it's still good. Don't get me wrong. I still have taken it out multiple times this year and it's been effective, but I think you've got to know when and where to use those. Um, because it doesn't just knock a squirrel out of a tree. Like a lot of my squirrel huntings with a 17 HMR. And when you hit a squirrel with that, it is stone dead. And when you hit them with the air gun, mm-hmm. it might kill them, but they can run 30, 40 yards or climb a tree before they die. It's unless you get a, a perfect headshot. Because I've even had a couple where I shot them in the vitals and, and they've run 20 yards, you know? And I like to think I'm a pretty good shot, but I'm not going to be perfect every single time. And. If, yeah it's just it's not perfect so you have to you know pay attention to what you're doing so I've taken that out a couple times I've taken 17 HMR quite a bit um, and I've switched over uh, to that with non lead and with with the air gun I'm using primarily non lead although I haven't found bullets that really work as good as I want with that um, and then I've taken I've even taken uh, a 20 gauge out a few times with a uh, steel uh, number three shot or four shot, like I'd use for uh, duck hunting, I guess. But, um, yeah, just whatever I've
0: – I've taken a few different options. But, yeah, primarily probably the 17-H. And are you going copper loads on those? You said you were going non-lead, or is it uh, – are they doing they doing steel uh, bullets, or are they, they mainly copper?
1: Uh, the 17-HMR is copper, yep.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, the tried and true twenty two is uh, is the route that I'm still going. Um, I I haven't checked to see what my loads are. I think they're probably still lead. Uh, so apologies there. I haven't switched over to. I haven't needed to buy. I got my crate of uh, of twenty two ammo that I'm trying to whittle down. And when things were tight there for a while, anytime I could find rounds, I was like, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> Don't care what it is, just pick it up.
1: Well, I'm, with the non lead, it's not like. I mean, I, I don't want to see any game animal or raptor, non-game animal, raptor, anything, die a bad death of any kind of you know neurological problems that are associated with lead. But, you know, honestly, that doesn't really move the needle for me. I've seen more red-tailed hawks and bald eagles in Michigan than I have in my entire life in the last couple years. So, I mean, I don't want them to suffer, but that wasn't really why I switched. Honestly, it was... All the waste, um, well, for one, I'm feeding my kids now, too, and that does make me a little bit. You know, I switched for non-lead with my um, uh, deer ammo, too. And then I actually killed a lot of squirrels mm-hmm. with my bow, so there's, there's no lead, lead toxicity there. Um, but all the waste from my small game um, adventures gets fed to my chickens or thrown into my compost. So I'm kind of uh, doubling my risk if there were any there um so i that that's my primary thing if it weren't as effective and and the 17 hMR i have had a little bit less success i i have not been able to get that the ammo i'm not as happy with the ammo as i was with the you know the the traditional hollow point ammo but yeah i'm not uh i'm not trying to preach to you here on oh we must switch everything to non-lead like it's it's fine with me if people don't want to it just has worked for me For the most part and I'm still trying to kind of sort it out um but yeah it's just something I had an opportunity to do but yeah there's if I go out with my 22 actually I did just buy some non-lead ammo for that too because I'll hunt with my 22 pistol sometimes um and I did buy some rounds for that but that the accuracy is not that big of a deal because I'm with my pistol anyway I'm probably only shooting 30 35 yards so it really isn't going to be that big of a deal but yeah don't don't get me wrong in thinking I'm preaching to you here. It's not not my place to tell you what to do.
0: <laughs> Sounds good, but i I do appreciate the thought of i maybe it just goes back to when we when I approach killing an animal, I want to do it with the utmost conscience that when i when I'm doing this, I'm doing the act I'm not hiding behind the fact of you know just calling it a harvest to to avoid calling it killing. No, I'm I'm going to kill that animal, and then I'm going to harvest its flesh and eat that and feed that to my family, and to not hide around that issue, but at the same time to be conscious of you know what of that impact that I'm doing with that. If I'm taking that animal, is there any going to be other, any other hazards like like you said with uh, switching over to to copper, something that's not lead? That's something that I think hunters really need to kind of kind of sort through, and understandably that you're saying like, you know, I'm not here to preach to you about that, but at the same time, it's good to, it's good to, to bring that up. It's good to talk about that. I feel like, you know, same thing like we were just talking about earlier with the, the APRs and the management strategy, we're all trying to kill animals here. What's our motivation and what's our goals and to not hide behind uh, buzzwords or to hide behind like what, what we're making up to be somebody else's agenda like, I think we just need to scale that back and be like, listen, we got a job that we want to do. We want to be able to harvest these critters. How can we best do that and still get the quality meat, the quality animal on the hoof that we're looking for? So, no, I think that all kind of ties together. And having those discussions, I think, is healthy. Maybe that's why we're struggling <laughs> is because we're not having those discussions.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I think... People have a difficult time changing, and there is a risk with changing. Um, you know, I switched to non-lead for big game two years ago, I think. Um, so I shoot like a monolithic copper, basically. In some rounds, I've got some hollow point non-lead that, I, and some that I took out west. Um, and there was a there was a bit of a gamble. Like the accuracy was there when I was practicing. But there was the question of how effective will it be because i know that hollow point rounds um are extremely effective at you know when placed um in the vitals at just pretty much piling up most big game you know there's not a lot of tracking involved and with these bullets that are less expansive was that going to be you know how is the physics going to be applied they're going to be going at high velocity but they're not going to expand as much what's what's the what's going to happen and i've been doing it for a couple years now and i've had i've had pretty good results there there have been the exit wound is far smaller with the rounds i've been using and but there are hollow point rounds that are you know devastating that are non-lead um but yeah it's it's just something that i was kind of poking around and and part of it was you know um I came to fatherhood a little little bit later in life, and it led to a lot of, like, introspection and kind of reexamining my practices. Like, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Am I doing it just because I've always done it? And now how is this going to uh, uh, affect my my children? And, you know, you got to be willing to kind of make some changes when there's more than just you on the line is kind of the way I see it now that is preachy still not preaching to you but that was a preachy thing to say
0: <laughs> I don't know sometimes people need to stop and listen when wisdom is being spoken and I think jonah that's that's wisdom right there you're looking outside well, of yourself you. don't don't be shy about that no step on that soapbox that's a good one um bringing us off that rabbit trail let's start talking a little bit about rabbits in particular you were farming rabbits there for a little while has have you come back into chasing their uh their cottontail cousins or have you have you given up the the farmed rabbit game
1: uh no i still we still raise um farmed rabbits yep uh just enough basically for us um although that ends up being like i don't know what it was i don't think i tracked it in 20 22, but in 2021 it was like uh, a little over 300 pounds of of rabbit, um, and probably pretty similar in 2022. So it's like raising an extra pig, basically. Um, and I give I give a lot. I end up giving a lot away, and people like like the farm rabbit. Um, but uh, I still I still chase uh wild rabbits quite a quite a bit. Um, I've gotten a few this year already uh, usually they're more a target of opportunity when I'm squirrel hunting. Um, I've been pretty lucky to have a pretty good game eye for rabbits that think they're hiding from me and are not. And so I've, I've gotten a lot of rabbits that were just standing somewhere, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards away, whatever, thinking they were hiding, but I saw them, um, because I don't, I don't hunt with a dog anymore or anything like that. But um, my mom um, absolutely loves wild rabbit, but will not eat a farmed rabbit. She's had farmed rabbit or like domestic rabbit pets, so she will not. But she grew up eating wild rabbit, and she still loves it. So I don't know that I've cooked a wild rabbit for myself in years. I pretty much give all of those to my mom. Um, but I still, I, I've had a couple of she's cooked up there, um, back home. Uh, but I, yeah, I love, I love rabbit. I love rabbit.
0: Am I approaching that the same way that I'm going to approach squirrel or because, I mean, they do live very similar environments, but they respond very differently. Um, just because of their diet and that, that they are completely different animals. Um, but am I treating that? Am I going to treat that meat very similar, where I'm going to want to give it a braise, or do I want to treat rabbit differently? Have I been? Uh, is there more than one way to skin a rabbit? I guess basically, can I? Is it more diverse mm-hmm. because there's more meat on that thing?
1: Well, farmed rabbit is totally different. Um, they are much more tender and have carry a significant amount of body fat generally depends on when you you know butcher process them um so i treat them totally differently but as for wild rabbit i basically treat them like a squirrel i find that they're generally slightly more tender um but i think that's pretty negligible i pretty much treat them like a squirrel i i butcher them the same way into six pieces um yeah i i treat them almost exactly as i would a squirrel
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I, I've i heard of people getting to the point where they bone them out, where they get the, a, a mass of meat, where they've actually done sausages with rabbit. Is, is that an avenue that you've taken on? Or have you like, no, no, give me my quarters, give me my braise that that's the wheelhouse that you live in. If it's, if I got to play too much to put it into a casing, that might be altering the whole idea about, about rabbits. Do you like to stick with just the, the quarters aspect?
1: I, um, for wild rabbits, I almost always stick with the quarter aspect. Um, I've messed around with other things, like kind of for the novelty of it, or, you know, I'll see some recipe that Hank Shaw did and be like, eh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get, radical and try this thing that's going to take me three and a half hours but it's you know and have 30 pots to clean i mean they're not that bad but they do taste good every time um (laughs) but with with domestic rabbits i've played around with them a little bit more because they're they're easily twice the size of a wild rabbit um so there's a little more you get a little more bang for your buck with trying to bone one out and i've made rabbit stock and i've made squirrel stock um I've probably played around. with, I bet with you know, kind of kicking it slightly back to fox squirrels. I with fox squirrels, I've played around more than I have with wild rabbit. I made I made squirrel sausage. Uh, I made squirrel meatballs that I actually took to a meatball contest. Um, didn't win, but placed respectably. And everyone ate them. There were people there. I was shocked would eat these squirrel meatballs, but they they totally did. Um, but yeah, with with wild rabbit, nah, you know. It's kind of like with bluegill. You know, there are probably a lot of things I could do with a bluegill. I don't know if I could do anything better than frying one. It's pretty damn good. You know, people (laughs) like to, oh, I want to do something different, man. Why? I don't know. A sunset is a sunset. I don't, you know, I don't need to watch it through uh, rose-colored glasses. It's beautiful just the way it is.
0: that's a breath of fresh air that's a new perspective i feel like sometimes i do try to find new ways to make things exciting and that at some point just like you said like sometimes you just got to come back around and be like hey this is the reason everybody eats it like this is because it's so easy and it's so good you can't beat it so fried rabbit braised rabbit hey just stay in that wheelhouse uh, if that's what you want to do, if you end up with a limit, you know, like you said, maybe go for the, some of the sausage on those. I do like the, uh, the idea of a squirrel, uh, meatball was that, do you end up having to gro- you ground all that meat or was it, uh, braised it and then you just kind of shredded it and then held it together with some sort of binding?
1: Oh no. I, uh, I ground it. I boned out. I don't remember how many. It was I think it was like a two day. I think there were like ten, it maybe eight, something like that uh, fox squirrels, where I boned them out, ran them through the grinder, um, mixed it with like kind of like I would with like venison meatballs, um, where I you know add I can't remember what I added. I would say probably like ten percent pork, something just to <clears throat> really help hold it together. And then I think I did. I might've added dots pretzels um, and smashed them up in there too, or something like that as like uh, my uh, like breadcrumb binding. And then I did, I think I did a bar like a, a Korean barbecue type with some sesame seeds, something to that effect. Cause I was going for um, when I do get fancy, I like to have really good presentation too. I think you eat with your eyes first. So I like to have it looking sharp, and the the contents of that crock pot were, you know, they were they were fantastic. I think I even went, I had some chives or something in the greenhouse and chopped them up and you know put them on top. Like it was, it was pretty fancy. Uh, but yeah, I ground them, I ran them right through the grinder, and yeah, I think probably ten percent pork, something to that effect.
0: Gotcha. And Dots pretzels. Man, I am a sucker for Dots pretzels. So if there is even a hint of that ranch seasoning in there, I was going to gobble up too many of those things myself. That's a great add-in on those.
1: Oh, dude, I'll tell you, um, in in the spring when the suckers are running, or if you find yourself getting a mess of pike this winter, um, but I like it either, either way, I made... uh. Uh, basically fish patties where I ground, I did, I've done it with sucker and I've done it with pike where I take the fish, make sure it's boned out and kind of with the pike. You don't really, as long as you can leave the Y bones cause they will cook out, um, when you cook it, but, uh, you know, get the rib bones out and, and any pin bones and then kind of freeze the fish, uh, the fillets until they're frosty and then run it through a meat grinder, just your standard meat grinder. Add a little bit of egg, and then crush up, like really, really crush up, like with a mortar and pestle, Dots pretzels, and make yourself some fish patties. Oh, brother. Now, I don't like to fool around with fish all that much, but those are fantastic. Great fish sandwiches, and you can, in the way of the kids, you can freeze them in between wax paper and then vacuum seal them, and you can pull them out, throw them in the I, – I used to do it in the pan, but they actually work out really well in the oven. And just throw them in the oven, and boom, you got fish sandwiches for the whole fam in no time, and they are top-notch.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Because, yeah, how many different ways can you have fish, but, man, a fish patty with with dots, pretzels as uh, the coating? Mm, I'm in. I'm in. This is the one – this will probably kind of, like, finish up our, our evening um, – as long as we're talking about opportunities, uh, I went out for squirrels. I wanted to just see uh, different parts of the farm that uh, I hadn't been to that season yet. I was re- I really kept those quiet. So me and the dogs, uh, my two pups, a couple mutts. Uh, one's a, an Irish. He's an Irish doodle. His dad's an Irish setter, and his mom was the poodle. And uh, we got the, the runt of the batch. He's kind of a bonehead, but I love him to death. He's a great little house dog, um, but he's running along with me, and he's got his head down to the ground. He's he's following something, and runs over to a tree that had the the stump was still up, a section of the trunk was still hanging, but then the tree had fallen because of it was hollowed out, and he starts he starts barking just going to bananas, stand on the edge of this tree. And he keeps looking over at me. So he's about 15 yards away. So I head over there and I was just going to try to get him to come along with me. And I circle around to see what was inside the tree to be like, what are you barking at? And there sits this massive raccoon. He must've been taking a little nap and uh, Bo, my dog, ended up sniffing him out and let me know that he was there poor for that raccoon but uh he uh he ended up eating one of those uh those my my twenty two rounds that sucker when I picked him up I bet you he was twenty to twenty two pounds just oh, yeah. massive um brought him back to the shop um as I'm walking back with him of course yeah Bo's at my side he's he's licking up all the little, all the um the blood that's running down. He's, I mean, he's just as proud as I am because we we got this thing together. It was a team effort. Um, but I took him down to the shop. I get a, you know, wife opens the door and says, "Hey, we got to be." I forget where we had to go, but it was one of those things like, "Hey, you've only got a little while. You got to come get cleaned up." And it was like, "Shoot, I got to take every advantage that I want to right now on on this raccoon." So I was able to uh, after a quick YouTube visit. I skinned his whole pelt, um, did the straight line from ankle to ankle. Uh, you go, you go south of the sack. That's what I heard on the, uh, on, at least on the YouTube video. Was able to pull it all down. I did get a nip in the tail where, uh, it gets thin. I think we can. I think I can stitch it back together, or someone can stitch it back together for me. But anyway, I was able to skin that all the way down to the nose. I think I left the. E- I got the ears off, uh, real tight around the eyes. Really felt like I did a, a good job. But it, man, it took a long time, at least longer than I expected. I was only able to save with the time left that I had was the two hams off of off of the rac- raccoon. I was, I wanted to take something away from it. I just didn't want to have just the pelt. I was like, I I need to do this animal a service. So that's where I was able to take uh, the quarters. But when I, when I switched my mindset from, from pelts into meat, that thing was like a doggone seal. It didn't have just fat. It had blubber. Like I'm cutting through just so much fat. He was definitely ready for winter. I was just amazed at the amount of fat that was on him. As I'm looking at the the ham and the hind quarter there, the meat is deep red. It looks super rich. It looks pretty oily, pretty fatty. Is that the profile that I'm going to get from a raccoon? Is that while being a, a very rich meat, I'm going to be dealing with some fat. I'm going to be dealing with some oil if I'm going to cook these things up
1: yeah and i mean i find the meat to be very beefy um but less likely to get dry um a a little more forgiving i guess is the best way to say than beef but very beefy meat um the fat on uh, this is this is all personal opinion but i've 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 eaten a lot of raccoons more more than most i would say um we grew up they were kind of uh they were a staple, yet a treat, because it was always exciting when we get one and my grandpa would cook it up. Um but I'm not a big fan of uh the fat, especially on a male, and especially on an older male. Uh so I would trim as much of that fat away as you can. And then on the hams, if you, you you've got that you've got the hindquarters. Um, you know how when you when you butcher, uh, you, I know you butcher your own deer, so you know how when you butcher a deer, there's a, a chunk of fat in the back hand that has a, like a scent gland in it, essentially. Um, raccoons have exactly the same thing. Well, so do squirrels, for that matter. Um, but you want to definitely take that out, and especially on an older male. And I don't know if you separated the hind quarters, so you have two quarters, or you just have the whole back end. But you'll want to you'll want to separate them. Um, but yeah, so if you slice right above the knee and go upward, you should see like a a chunk of fat in there. And if you, sometimes it'll come out when you're skinning them. Um, but if you kind of just work in there with your, with your thumb or your finger, you'll see that chunk of fat and you'll see, it looks like a little kernel, you know, um, similar to on a deer, but to scale for a raccoon. Um, but yeah, I usually on a, on a female or like a younger female, I'll leave some of the fat on and kind of let it cook in its own fat. But with an, a male, especially an older male, I'll trim most of the fat off. But the raccoon, I I love raccoon. You know, I get some funny looks when I say that, and I'm a funny looking guy, so I'm used to funny looks. And I you know, basically look like a sasquatch <laughs> most of the time. So people are like think I'm just like clubbing raccoons and eating them raw. But no, they're they're really they're really good eating. And I've gotten kind of adventurous with some raccoons. Um, I do like the the classic, basically just uh, you know brown and braise um and raccoon gravy is top notch when when done well um but they they're they're you can get kind of wild with raccoon but for your you know for your first one if it's your first one i would do a very standard so that way you got what you you know kind of get a flavor get a feel for the flavor profile and understand what you're working with but yeah man they're they're good eating and they're bigger than people think like they are a legitimate meal i mean if you were to say <clears throat> that you want to spend your time and get, you know, a reasonable bang for your buck, I would say, you know, maybe there's some people who could go out deer hunting every single time and get a deer. But for me and probably a lot of uh, most other people, you come out of the woods carrying nothing but your bow or your gun most of the time when you're deer hunting. And if you, if you go coon hunting and you get good at it or even trapping – you can get a lot of doggone raccoons, and those things. I mean, it's not it's not a big deal to get eight, ten pounds of meat off a raccoon. You can add up to the weight you get off a deer pretty fast.
0: That's a very good aspect to think about. That yeah, I have seen more raccoons uh, when I've been skunked on on deer. Like there could have been there could have been the opportunity uh, for that. Yeah, this is one that fell in my lap. Well, it. It was my dog's lap, um, but anyway, he uh, he poked Ooh. it out for me. So yeah, we're in new territory here. We're gonna try this out, and same thing like what you got. I've I, I got this raccoon. I showed it off to my buddies in a, in a text, and they were like, "You're gonna you're gonna try to eat that thing, aren't you?" And I'm like, I I think it's there. I've heard too many people talk about that it's it's a hidden gem that it really is a delicious meat. It, i'm sure it is one of those things like to get past that whole stigma of trash panda but shoot i've been fighting stigmas since i've started with wild game everybody's been telling you telling me that it's dry and it's gamey and it's no good and this is just what i think another aspect of you know what you haven't cooked it right and so following your instructions here we're going to go with a braise yes i am going to skin or uh, really clean the fat off of that thing as much as i can Heads up for the, uh, um, the gland. Now I know in, and maybe that's the shoulder somewhere in the middle near the, well, like if I were to part it out a deer leg, I would find one, or maybe that's just a bunch of fat and, uh, um, veins inside of those larger muscle groups. Is it worth kind of opening up that pocket near the femur? And pulling out that fat pulling out those uh, veins or are those gonna cook down just beautifully I shouldn't have to worry about anything internal that ham
1: no I wouldn't worry about anything internal when you slice that back open the nice thing I mean it the scale it's it's gonna be small enough I think we're talking about the same thing but um, you'll be able to see it in there and if there's just a little bit of fat I wouldn't worry about it but kind of you will be able to look in with your thumb and sometimes that peels out when you skin it um, but yeah, looking just with your thumb, if you do a little slice, you'll be able to see if there's that pocket of fat and that little that little kernel. I wouldn't really worry about opening it all the way up. Whatever you be able to get out will be will be totally fine. Um, but yeah, I'm so I'm an advocate for. Uh, I like some of those slower moving critters too. Um, I've eaten I've eaten muskrat. I've eaten porcupine. I've eaten raccoon. I ate a raccoon. I think I have a raccoon in my freezer. Cause I think I got two with my bow this year, that were like target of opportunity. Um, they were coming out of the corn when I was walking out, and I'm like, "All right, man," and and um, <laughs> I got a, a possum. That was what was he trying to do? He might have been fooling with my chickens or something. Um, I don't remember, but I know I, I ate possum not that long ago. And, yeah, those, those slow-moving critters, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, they're, they're low energy. They're nice and tender. Um, I'm, I'm a fan. I like snapping turtle too. They don't move <laughs> very fast, either, and they're delicious.
0: Yeah, that the slow movers is one I haven't gotten in there. I attempted, uh, I, I threw out a turtle trap, and a uh, buddy of mine was, was watching it for me he ended up pulling it out the next day and and we were skunked on that we didn't get anything out of that that was just kind of like a, a hail mary for the day to see if we couldn't pull anything out snapping turtle sounds super interesting what have i heard that there's not like not just white meat and dark meat but there's like eight different types of meat characteristic in uh in a snapper
1: i think the claim is seven uh, I don't find that to hold true. Um, it's, I would say there is a distinct difference. Like they have kind of a backstrap that's very difficult to get. Um, cause you have to have wire cutters to, to get it essentially, but they have, uh, their neck meat and their tail are kind of, you know, there's probably two or three at least that are a little bit different, but I think if it's, uh, I, it's easy to maybe spot the difference. I think it's a little tougher to taste the difference. It all tastes like turtle
0: to me. Well, good deal. Thanks for busting that myth. Just go in and you just enjoy flat turtle. Not worry about specifically which which cut you're going for. Well, Jonah, this has been an awesome evening. I I hope a lot of folks have gotten excited like I have been as we get into this uh, very like this uh, season of small game. Being opportunistic, going for nice walks in the woods it's a little bit more relaxed chasing down squirrels chasing down rabbits and yes i have my chance now to work in raccoon and so yeah you've given me some tips how to handle those hindquarters that i've i've stuck them in the freezer right now just cuz i don't know what to do with them but yeah we're going to i think we're going to go with a pot roast angle on them because oh, yeah. i don't want to hide it i want to i want to taste the raccoon for for what it is he gets he gets that full benefit i get the the raw him um so yeah we'll we'll give that a shot but yeah where can where can folks continue to follow along with you i know you've been on once before but uh where can we find you on social media
1: uh you know it's it's changed a little bit but i'm still i'm still on instagram quite a bit uh mighty Musquatch, a lot of hunting fishing homesteading gardening content on there uh that's primarily where i am i'm working on some more writing um but yeah with the with the two kids and the new job, the the time has been a little limited. Um, but I'm still I'm
0: still working on some stuff. Well, good folks, head on over to to follow Jonah. Well, Jonah, hold on here for just a second while I let folks on out. Folks, yeah, like like I said a minute ago, I hope you're getting excited for getting back out in the woods. I know we just had the big hurrah of deer season, and you know you got to kind of do your your dues at home. But with 2023 coming in and now for us to get a chance to go back out in the woods, do some more reflecting, do some less intense walk through the woods and uh, take the opportunity. Take down some squirrels and really enjoy the flavor that they really are and try not to relate them to chicken. At the same time, being uh, quick on that rabbit, quick on the draw on the rabbit and to take one of those in or to really get gutsy and to find yourself a raccoon and enjoy an underused piece of meat there, but folks, whether you're uh, you're going to skin him out for a full pelt, or you're uh, going to um, just take the meat, whatever you're doing with that, always keep your knife sharp.